Amen. How many of you know God loves you today? Right? And so when things happen in our lives, a lot of times we tend to start to think bad things. But remember, God would never do anything to harm one of his children. God loves you and he wants to work in your life. And take that song, what a testimony. Sometime you look that song up and hear the testimony behind the individual that wrote that. But if you take your Bibles with me this morning, turn to John chapter number 12, if you have a copy of God's Word. And if you're able to this morning, out of respect for the Word of God, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. John chapter number 12. Now, for those of you visiting with us, if you notice, our theme for the year is magnify. And so in the month of January, as we kicked off this new year, we, uh, we've spent a few weeks on magnifying the Savior. Uh, we move into this month, month of February, and we're going to focus this month on Sunday mornings on magnifying service. And so all of the messages, with the Lord's help, that I will preach in this month will be dealing with serving the Lord, and that's what the message in John chapter 12 is about. And so if you look with me this morning as we read in our uh, Bibles in chapter 12, beginning in verse number 20. The Bible says there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father, what's the last word? Honor. The message this morning is entitled, Valued Service. You ever went somewhere here in town, maybe out to eat or to the store, and got bad service? Anybody ever got bad service? And I'll tell you, it makes it for a bad experience, it does it not? But listen, I know that when I go and I try to be nice, I realize people that are waiters or waitresses or working behind a counter, they could be having a bad day. Maybe they had a customer that was not very kind to them. But I believe as a Christian, God wants us to serve him, and he wants our service to be a service that's valued. When you think about valued service, you can put it this way, that valued service is someone simply willing and available to be a blessing to others. God's been a blessing to us, hasn't he? And God wants us to be a blessing to those around us as we serve him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, for your word. I pray that you'd bless it as we listen this morning. May your spirit speak to us. And may we respond to whatever it is that you ask of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this morning for the Word of God. You look at this passage today, and Jesus, of course, is 
is uh, living on this earth many years ago, and we call it the earthly ministry of Christ, and he is spending some time, and everything at this point, especially as you get to John chapter number 12, you find that everything is on purpose. When you come to this passage that we just read, we find that the incident begins with a plea. Uh, The Bible says that there were these, look at verse 20 again, certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Now, these Greeks, as they're identified, were Greek-speaking Gentiles. Uh, They were individuals that were representatives of what would be the Gentile world beyond the area known as Palestine. Now, when you look at it, according to not only the Bible, but in this world, you're either a Jew or you're not a Jew. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And I I can tell you today, I am not a Jew. There may be some here this morning that have Jewish descent. But these individuals that came to the feast, that came to Jerusalem, the Bible says they came seeking Jesus. They were God-fearing Gentiles. These were individuals that had learned about the Jewish faith. They were attracted to some of the things that they had been hearing about. And the Bible teaches us here that they had, they had come to worship. Now, maybe at this point, they had not wanted to take that, that irrevocable, that irreversible step that many people would take to become, maybe at this particular instance, a Jew. The Bible uses the word, and we talk about a proselyte. What is a proselyte? In your notes there, it means it's someone that changes from one religious belief to another we would use the word convert. These people are a convert. I I know that growing up, I was a part of a different religious system. Now, remember, Jesus didn't die for religion. Jesus died for the souls of men and women. And so there are some, and you probably were like me, many of you I've talked with you, that you were raised to believe something this way or believe something this way, And most religion today is not based on the Bible, it's not based on God, it's based on man. But these Greeks that had come to the feast, they had come, but they maybe hadn't taken that step to become a a proselyte, to become a a Jew, so to speak. Now, not by birth, because the, the right of circumcision was the one step that maybe they had not taken, maybe they were not interested in taking because it was something that was irrevocable, you could not take it away. But they had come to Jerusalem, the Bible says, and as they came, according to the Bible, they were probably allowed to go into what was known as the court of the Gentiles in the temple area. And as they came, they approached one of the disciples of the Lord, the Bible says his name was Philip. And notice they come to Philip with a spontaneous request. And maybe they had come because they were impressed that they had heard so much about this one named Jesus. And again, maybe they were standing by, they heard someone talking, and maybe they heard someone call Philip by name. And when you search it out, what you find is, is the name Philip, Philip was a Jew, but he was a Jew with a Gentile name. And so maybe they thought to themselves, well, we're we're Gentiles, this man has a Gentile name, maybe he would understand what we would like to ask of him. So the Bible says in verse number 21, look at it, the same, these Greeks, came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, 
and they desired him. Here's their request. Sir, we would see Jesus. Now, what they were saying was, hey, we've heard about this one named Jesus. We want to meet him. How many of you would want to meet Jesus if he was still on this earth? I think it'd be an awesome thing. Now, I can tell you that you can open up his word every day and meet him and spend time with him every day. But these individuals had the privilege of being where Jesus was, and they came for the feast, and they, they said to Philip, hey, listen, can you get us in? Can, can you get us a meeting with Jesus? We want to see Jesus. Now, Philip, in verse number 22, what does he do? The Bible says, Philip, here's their request, and he, the Bible says here, that Philip cometh and he telleth Andrew. Philip, I, I don't know why, but Philip, instead of just taking care of the matter, he comes to Andrew, Peter's brother, and he says, hey, look, there's some Greeks out here. They're requesting a meeting with Jesus. And so the Bible then says in verse number 22 that Andrew and Philip then went and found Jesus. And they tell Jesus. Now, nowhere in the Bible do I see, and maybe I overlooked it, whether or not this meeting actually ever took place. I don't know. Maybe it did, maybe it did not. That's really not, you'll find the important part of this text was necessarily that meeting, but nonetheless, they went and told Jesus that there were Greeks that had come for the feast who wanted to meet with you. Now, I'll tell you this this morning. I came to church this morning for one reason, to meet Jesus. I, I mean, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a church family. But if I come and spend time with my brothers and sisters and don't meet with Jesus, I've missed the most important thing. And that's why they came, was to meet with Jesus. Now, they have this spontaneous request, but then notice what happens is Philip and Andrew, then when they went to tell Jesus, Jesus gave them a specific reply and it says here in verse number 23, look at it. Jesus answered them saying, the hour is what? The hour has come. That's an interesting statement there. What hour is Jesus referring to? Well, the end of the verse tells us that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, there have been times leading up to John 12, even in maybe the other three gospel accounts where Jesus may have spent some time with an individual. Jesus may have performed a miracle. Jesus may have done something significant, and he has told people, hey, listen, don't go tell other people what I did. And I always thought that was kind of odd. Why wouldn't Jesus want people to tell other people about him? Why wouldn't Jesus say, hey, look, you know, now eventually it came to that point, and that's what we're looking at in our text today, because Jesus said, hey, look, that might have been the case in the past, but the time is come. It was time. Jesus said, no longer do I want to be in the background, no longer he says, this is the whole reason why I came, why I left heaven and came to this earth. You see, the Lord was saying it was time. Time for what? Well, his reply to them was in three parts. Notice, first of all, that it was time for him to be glorified. The Bible tells us, notice again in verse 23, that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, the, you study this out. Here's what you find is the Jews... At this point, remember the Bible says Jesus came to his own. 
and his own received him not. Jesus came for all people, but specifically as Jesus came, he came for the nation of Israel. And the Bible says that they rejected him. They did it willingly. They did it blindly. They did it persistently. The Bible says that the Jews, that they always sought for a sign. But it's interesting that the Greeks that you see here in this passage, the Bible says that they would see Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.22. The Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. So look, the Jews, they were always wanting to see it. They were living by sight and not by faith. For the Christian, understand this morning, God says, look, you don't always have to understand it. You don't always have to see it. You just have to trust me. You just have to have faith that I am God and I can work in your life. And so here comes these Greeks. They make this request to Philip, and Philip tells Andrew, and then they tell Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? It's time. It's time that I would be glorified. See, in these Gentiles that came to Jesus, Jesus being God, how many of you know God knows all things? How many of you know God sees all things, right? So Jesus is God in the flesh. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so when these Greeks came seeking for him, Jesus could see that they were to be the first of the flock of other sheep. Now I want you to see a couple of verses here. Look what the Bible says early on in the temple when Jesus was very young in Luke 2.32. The Bible describes him as a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of the people of Israel. God says, I'm going to send my son that he would be a light to the Gentiles. Again, if you're like me this morning and you are a Gentile, aren't you glad for the light of the world, Jesus, that came to lighten the way for us? And the Bible says that that's why God sent him. Jesus as God, when he saw and heard these Greeks coming to him, he could see his name being exalted, lifted up, even in a Gentile world. We live in a world today where people are trashing the name of God. People want nothing to do with God, but Jesus could see his name being exalted. Notice John 10, verse 16. Jesus says, the other sheep I have. Notice, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. That's a reference to those of Jewish descent. Jesus said, I have other sheep, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. See, look, we live in a time to understand that, yes, in the Old Testament, God primarily was speaking to the nation of Israel. When you get into the New Testament of the Bible, the audience that is being targeted in the gospel accounts is still the nation of Israel. But the Bible says because of the unbelief of the Jews, that the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it went forth to the Gentile nations. You see, when you think of the church today, and we are the church, Jesus didn't die for buildings. He died for the souls of men and women. And understand, the church is us today. And what is the church comprised of? Saved people, Jews and Gentiles. And the Bible says that we are all one. Notice again what the Bible says here. They shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. It's not going to be Jews and Gentiles. It's going to be all the saved one fold and one shepherd, and his name is Jesus. Now think about this. Jesus also, when these Greeks came to him, 
because he was God, he could see churches, maybe like ours, that were going to be established. Why? So that they could preach the gospel, that they could worship him in all parts of the world. Jesus said, you know what? With these Greeks coming to me, I can see that it is now time that the Son of Man, the Son of God, would be glorified. But notice also, the second part was that the Son of Man, that the Lord would be crucified. Look at verse 24, the first two words, verily, verily. Now, those words can also be translated properly as the word truly. In other words, I'm going to tell you a truth. Anytime you see where the Lord has the same word twice, it's there for emphasis. And notice what it says. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He says, this is a truth. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Now, Jesus here is talking about himself. He had been telling his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must give his life. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it again. He's describing his crucifixion when he uses the phrase here, the corn of wheat. That signified the seed corn of the wheat. If you know anything about gardening, and you know anything about farming, there is a principle that all gardening and, found, uh, uh, and, and farming are founded upon, and that is what you do is you take a seed and you sow it in the ground. And when that seed is sown in the ground, it dies. But from that death comes forth life. Jesus is talking about his crucifixion. See, it can only reproduce when it is sown. It can only reproduce when it dies. Jesus is telling his disciples, much like what Paul said to those in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 36, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, in other words, is not alive, it says, except it die. See, a grain of corn can never fulfill what they call the law of its being apart from the process of death, burial, and resurrection. That's exactly what Jesus was saying here, that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must die, that he must be buried so that, listen, that there would be a way to salvation. Jesus said, it's time. He says, listen, things have happened in the past, but it's time that the Lord would be glorified. It's time that the Lord would be crucified. And then look at the third part. He says, it's time that the Lord would be multiplied. Go back to verse number 24. Look at it again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Watch this. But if it die, it bringeth forth what? Yeah, not just fruit. Much fruit. See, he's talking about multiplication here. I've had the joy of having, even recently, some, some uh, funeral services, some home-going services, some celebrations of life of Christian people. Boy, it's much easier as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, to do the funeral of a saved person versus a funeral of an unsaved person. And boy, it's a wonderful thing how that you think about what even the Bible says, that he being dead yet speaketh. And there's been many times, Brother Brady's here this morning, he could tell you, he said to me when I talked to him, he said, now pastor, 
You know, he, he didn't have a long list. Pastor, I want you to say this about my wife. I, I want you to say this about my wife. I want you to say this. Oh, Brother Brady said over and over again, Pastor, I need you to make sure that you share the gospel. I need you to tell people about the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing when we have a funeral service and, and you see people come, family members and friends and maybe co-workers or whoever, and they come to these. And, and here we are, we're celebrating the life of a person that's no longer here. They're already with the Lord. But you see, as the gospel is given out, as that seed was sown, that from that death you see life. People raise their hand and say, I trusted Christ as my Savior. You see, folks, listen. The greatest day of your life is when you put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone. You personally, on your own, cannot get to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the truth. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. And Jesus here is saying, look, it's time. It's time that I would be crucified. It's time that I would be glorified. But he says, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You see, when these Greeks came and they said, hey, we want to meet Jesus. We want to spend time with Jesus. It, it really enabled the Lord to see the harvest that was about to come. Look what it says in Romans 14, 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. In the book of Acts, the first century, here's what you find is as Jesus is now with God the Father, the Bible records that the, the church now is being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, it still is today, just in case you're wondering. And, and we find here that God is working and God is moving, but here's what happens. There was a city known as Antioch. And what we see as one of the first great missionary movements in the Bible, we find that there were some of God's choice servants and that they had gone to Antioch. And who do they go to? They go to the Greeks of that city. Look in your notes there in Acts 11 and verse 20. Some of them, which were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians. Now, they weren't telling them stories. They weren't, you know, just talking about the news. They weren't talking politics. What were they talking to them about? Well, notice the next four words, preaching the Lord Jesus. You know what this world needs? Jesus. See, I, look, I'm nothing wrong. There's some kind of game on tonight. Hey, listen, I'm a sports guy, but there's nothing more important than Jesus. Because only Jesus is going to change a person's life. Only Jesus will change this world. And here they are, they're communicating with these Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And look at what the Bible says here. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And while they were preaching the Lord Jesus to them, the Bible says, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. See, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you need to, according to the Bible, turn from your wicked ways. Turn from the sin in your life and turn to the Lord. And the Bible records that these were Greeks that they had gone to. And as you find Paul now in his missionary journeys, this incident in Acts 11 actually sparked Paul's journeys in which Paul then began to concentrate the work that God had given to him in the Greek cities of the Roman Empire. And you know what Paul saw as you read the Bible? Paul saw much fruit, people believing on the Lord. 
See, the Lord was being multiplied. I love to see people saved. That's why we have church. That's why we have services. That's why we go out on Saturdays, go into our community. That's why we have vacation Bible school. That's why we send teens to teen camp. Why? Because we want to see the Lord multiplied in people's lives, see people saved. And the Lord could see all this. He could see himself being multiplied in the ages to come. And all of this was the result of him being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look at this great verse in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. It, become, it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, watch this, and bringing many sons unto glory. The Bible says to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. How many of you are glad for the suffering that Jesus went through that you now have eternal life because of what he did for us on the cross. See, as I see these Greeks coming to the feast, they came and they had a request. Their request was, hey, we want to meet Jesus. And then we, re we see Jesus' reply. See, even more than meeting him, there was great significance behind them coming. And he says, you need to understand that it is now time. Now notice from that plea comes a paradox. Now a paradox is kind of interesting because it's something literary that's used, it's a tool, and it's oftentimes maybe, listen, a seeming contradiction. Now if, you're, if you've been saved for any length of time and you study the Bible, I can, I can tell you with all certainty, there are no contradictions in the Word of God. You're not going to find one mistake. But there are times where Jesus would teach and he would use something like a paradox, which is what he used here in verse 25. And I want you to look at it with me this morning. He says to Philip and to Andrew, he that loveth his life, what's those next three words? Shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world, what's those next three words? shall keep it unto life, what? Life eternal. Now here's the paradox. <laughs> the paradox was that death, listen to me, is the way to life. You say, well, that's crazy. No, that's God. See, for God, the way up is down. The way to live is to die. That's the paradox that Jesus gives. And to this teaching, this paradox that he gives, he actually uses a double meaning for life. Now understand here that you and I understand the first one very easily because it's talking about a life that is lower. It's a physical life. It's the life that you're now living. It's ta it talks about a temporal life. None of us are guaranteed of a tomorrow. Not one of us. Tom Brady may never see his seventh ring. That'd be just fine with me. But listen, we understand this life. You know why? Because we're living it right now. But Jesus attaches a double meaning with this paradox because he doesn't just describe a lower physical temporal life. He actually talks about a higher spiritual eternal life. He says, look, there's a life beyond this life. Look, we're only going to live so long in this world, but we're going to live forever in either heaven with him or in hell without him. It's a choice. 
he gives us this paradox here. And he's trying to get his disciples, and God's trying to get maybe you and I to see this morning. He warns us that we have to make an entire sacrifice. Listen to me now. You have to sacrifice the lower for the higher. See, what happens is we love light. We love what we have. You know, the American dream. Big house, two cars, a boat on the side of the house. None of that brings happiness. You see, a person that has God is a happy person. Jesus here is warning us. See, if we do not wholeheartedly surrender the lower for the higher, here's what's going to happen. You're going to lose both. You're going to lose both. The, the principle is that when we learn how to die, listen to me, that's when we really learn how to live. See, except that grain of corn fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. See, Jesus said, you can destroy this temple, but in three days I'm going to raise it again. And God is saying to you that in your life, what are you hanging on to? Look what Paul writes here to those in Philippi, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? To die is gain. Romans 6, 11, likewise, this is written to Christians, reckon ye also yourselves to be what? Dead. See, if you're saved, understand this morning, look, when people do things to you, here's what an old preacher said years ago, when Christians struggle, when people do things to them, you can't hurt a dead man. Think about that. The Bible says that we are dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, so, You know what the Lord's asking you today? He's asking you, Will you commit your life to him? Or is your life all about you? Are you concerned about this lower life that God has given to us, this temporal life? Or are you more interested in that higher life? The one that God says, I will give you eternal life. See, these Greeks come and they make a plea. Hey, we want to meet Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? It's time. And we find that Jesus shares this paradox. From that paradox, then notice lastly this morning, there was a principle that Jesus shares in verse number 26. Now, I love principles. By the way, I, I hope you're like this. Learn to live your life by principles. L let me add to that. Learn to live your life by principles from God's Word. You know what a principle is? It's a standard for measuring. See, I have a lot of tools I enjoy my tools. Anytime I have a chance, I like to get out my tools. And most, most of the time, whatever I get them out for, I can fix. Most of the time. But when I get out my tape measure, my tape measure has, it, it, it's measured by inches and by feet. There's a standard on there. And when it comes to the Christian life, the Lord is saying to us that there is a standard 
I have a principle that I want you to understand. And this principle is actually attached to that paradox that he just gave. They're linked together. Notice Jesus in this principle shares a word about the Lord's followers. See, every person, doesn't matter who you are, every person has to determine which world you're going to live for. You're either going to live for things of this world or you're going to live for things of the world to come. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Notice Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon is just another way to say the things of this world. Try it. Some of you guys think about this, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but be like having two wives. I mean, I got, I got one. That, I, that's enough. I don't need to. You understand the confusion that it could cause when you have two masters. Who do you listen to? Which one wins out in your life? You know, it's like the two dogs. You know, the one that you feed the most is the one that's going to win. And in our lives, we have to decide, am I going to serve God or am I going to serve this world? You can't dabble The Lord says, I want you to be committed to me. We have to live for Jesus and the world to come. And if we're not going to live for Jesus and the world to come, then we are going to give our lives to live for this world and we're going to be lost for all of eternity. Jesus shares in here in verse number 26, look at it. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. You want to be with the Lord for all of eternity? Then serve him, follow him. But notice, not only does he share a principle about the Lord's followers, but he shares a word about his father, the Lord's father. Look in the last part of verse 26. He says, but if any man serve me, him will my father, what's that last word? Honor. How many of you want to hear someday from the Lord, well done? What a wonderful day that'll be when we hear that. But you know, it's possible to have a saved soul and a lost life. There's millions of people that have been saved over the years. Listen to me, but they've never served the Lord. You're missing it. There's joy in serving Jesus. People miss and they don't understand Look at these verses, and every time I see these, it's, it is so convicting to me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible says, What? Know ye not that your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And in your spirit, which are God's. How many of you are saved today? Okay, I'm looking around. A lot of hands up this morning. So the Bible says that if you are saved, at the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moved in. Took up residence. The Bible says he dwells in you. And so listen, we understand that we're in a physical building here, but the church is the people of God, the saved. The Bible says your body, everywhere you go, you're a walking billboard for the Lord. The Bible says that 
you and I that are saved, we've been bought with a price. What was that price? The precious blood of God's own dear son. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. How dare us raise our hand and say, I'm saved, and then do what we want with our body, with the temple of the Holy Ghost. You see, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, to do what you want. God says, but I want you by love to serve one another. Look, he says, look, if he is your father, understand that one day you're going to stand before him at what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. And that he says here that those who have served him, my father will honor them. Look what the Bible says here. We must all appear. You're not going to get around it. If you're saved today, you'll stand before the Lord at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. See, the Bible makes it very clear that those who will be honored, Jesus said those who will be honored, maybe those that have, that have died a martyr's death, or maybe those that have forsaken their houses and lands and maybe their loved ones and maybe their house and their home and their businesses. Why? Why would somebody walk away from that? Just like the disciples when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter walked away from his fishing business, from his livelihood to follow the Lord. Jesus said, those that follow me, those that serve me, he says, my father will honor them. Look what it says in Matthew 19, 29. Everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. You know one of the hardest days for me? I'm just going to be a little transparent this morning. I was 30 years old. When I got in a... 26-foot Penske Hearst moving truck with a car dolly on the back of it with my car on that dolly. And I pulled out, not only from the town, but from the state that I was born in, raised in, that I had never been away from my parents all of my life. God sent me from Missouri to Tennessee. He sent me from Tennessee to Maryland. He sent me from Maryland to Missouri. He sent me from Missouri to California. He sent me from California to Florida. I'm hoping my next move will be to heaven. Folks, I've never looked at it as forsaking houses and forsaking father forsaking mother i can tell you what you're looking at a mama's boy and for the last 28 years of my life i didn't get to see my mom the way i would have gotten to see her had i never moved i didn't get to spend time with my dad 
out again. What I did, I did for the Lord. God, this was what God wanted for my life. And I'll tell you, as much as I missed being around my father, my mother, and even, even my sisters, if you can believe that, I did it, and I would do it all over again for the Lord, for his name's sake. Because look what the Bible says. When you do it for me, you shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. See, I didn't do it to get, but I'll tell you this, God has blessed as we have served him. You see, Jesus says here, he says, those are the people that my father will honor. Do you want God to honor your life? Do you want him to bless your life? When's the last time you, like these Greeks, came seeking the Lord? Hey, I want to meet Jesus. Do you know that you can meet him today, right where you are? You can meet him every day of your life. The Bible describes these Jews of the day in Acts 28, and I want you to notice in verse 27, the Bible says, the heart of this people, these were people Jesus came for. I pray there's no one like this here today, but the Bible says the heart of this people is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Do you know that if you're here today and you're not saved, God wants you to be saved. He says, I've tried, I sent my son so that you could have everlasting life. And yes, it was sad that in John 12 that the Jews had rejected the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus. But notice the next verse in Acts 28. He says, be it, therefore, be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God, see, God says, look, they may not listen, but he says the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. See, this is much after what's going on in our passage this morning in John 12. See, in John 12, Jesus was looking forward to what was going on here in Acts 28. He says, there's going to come a time that the Jews, yeah, they're not going to gonna reject, but the Gentiles will hear. And that's what Paul's ministry was. Paul went to people that would listen. And you're sitting here this morning, and I'm praying that you're listening to God speak to you this morning if you're not saved. You see, the most important thing that you can do is to seek the Lord. And if you are saved, do you have a desire in your heart to know him? You say, Pastor, I'm saved. I know God. I'm talking about knowing him in a greater way, knowing him more intimately than you've ever known him before. To know him in such a way that you would want to serve him with your life from your heart. Look at the Bible says here in Deuteronomy 13. 
The Bible tells us, ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. Keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. Is that what you want to do, Christian? Is obey him and serve him? Because what the Lord's looking for is someone that wants to serve the Lord with a valued service. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with their heads bowed and their eyes closed? Many hands went up earlier when I asked if you knew the Lord as your Savior, and there may have been a few hands that did not go up earlier. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I really believe the Lord brought you here so that you can be saved today. I believe that. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, I was 20 years old and I heard this Bible verse that says, There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, we're all sinners. We're born that way. But Jesus came, God came, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you're here today and you've never been saved, right where you are, you can pray and ask the Lord. It has to be from you. It has to be from your heart. But you could pray a simple prayer Something like, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for the sin in my life. Come into my heart and be my Savior. You see, it's just a simple prayer. There's no magical prayer. But the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray that prayer? Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of the sin in my life. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I wonder if there's anyone this morning that would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I just prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior. Would you slip your hand up as... Just a testimony. You can put it up and put it right back down. Pastor, I prayed and asked the Lord to be my Savior today. Anyone at all, I trusted Christ. What about you, Christian? Are you serving the Lord? God saved you to serve Him. You see, the passage we looked at this morning was before the cross. Jesus said, it's time for the Lord to be glorified. It's time for the Lord to be crucified. It's time for the Lord to be multiplied. You see, as we serve the Lord, you know what's going to happen? The Lord's going to be magnified through our service. Would you stand to your feet this morning with our heads bowed? The altar's open this morning. It's a place to come and spend some time with the Lord. Why don't you come, Christian? Say, Lord, thank you for giving your life that I can have eternal life.